they were offering him five years. And my lawyer said, you know, if you want, we could work this out. You could take his place. So what I did is I confessed to doing a lot of things, which I had done. And the agreement was I would get five years and take my uncle's place and they would come after me. Well, they decided that five years wasn't enough. The judge made a decision that there was more to me than met the eye. Everything she thought and read about from the FBI was true. Hi, and welcome to Podcaster Stories. Each episode, we'll have a conversation with podcasters from across the globe and share their story, what motivates them, why they started a show, how they grew the show, and more. We'll also talk about their personal lives and some of the things that have happened that have made them the person they are today. And now here's your host, Danny Brown. Welcome to Podcaster Stories, where we meet the people behind the voices of the shows we listen to. This week, I'm talking with Mark John Clifford, who, along with his wife, Patty, is a co-host of ADHD, All Michigas and More, a show that discusses what it's like living with ADHD. And I said it wrong, so I apologise for that, Mark. I'm sure you'll correct me a few times in this show. So, Mark, welcome to Podcaster Stories. How about you tell us about yourself and the podcast? Okay, thanks, Danny. Um, The podcast started three years ago, and it started, it was titled It's All Michigas. And it was all about, basically, it talked about life, it talked about business, things that go on. And we talked politics, religion. Every, we covered everything we could think of. And uh, what happened was, I was originally diagnosed with ADHD when I was six years old. I'm 66 now. I've lived with this thing for 60 years. Wow. And um, I used to be afraid to talk about it because when I was a kid, ADHD wasn't called that. It was called hyperkinetic disorder. And I was over the, I was like out of the spectrum. They said I broke the bell curve when they first diagnosed me. And it used to be that it was something that people or teachers would think that you, you had a mental problem, mental um, handicap. They didn't understand that ADHD is just a person that deals with a lot of things happening fast. And instead, they would put me in special classes, thinking that I was slow. And because I would fail at everything, because it wasn't challenging enough. And finally, uh, through my mom, who fought different um, programs and different teachers, they finally realized that what I needed was to be thrown into something that pushed the envelope so that my mind would be working harder and faster. Even if I didn't do that well, it was still more challenging and it kept my interest. And so over the years, I really hid the fact that I had ADHD. And what happened was about, I'd say two years ago, three years ago, I got interviewed by a gentleman named Peter Shankman, who has a podcast called Faster Than Normal, and it's all about ADHD. And I've known Peter for years, and he questioned my whole thing. And I told him, I just have been not ashamed of it, but never wanted to brag about that I had ADHD let people figure out why I'm crazy, you know, and try to sort it out. And uh, so he's the one that got me to really think about changing the podcast and turning it over to all ADHD and talking more about it and talking about my life because a lot of what he and I talked about was I was a prisoner within the federal prison system for 10 years. And being locked up in a 8 by 10 cubicle with ADHD is not exactly the best thing for a person <laughs> with ADHD. Um so I reminisce a lot about what I went through. And when I get on the show, the, the original 
thought of the show was about doing interviews with everybody. But there's a lot of shows doing that with ADHD. So what I wanted to do was make it interesting where people, you know, like people think there's all these experts out there. And I kind of have always had this attitude about experts is you're an expert for an hour because within an hour, something's going to change in your field and you got to, you got to learn it again. So you're not, you're not always an expert. And I read and follow and listen to all these, you know, podcasts and people that are bragging out there about, they have the best trick, the best, best trick to get, get around your ADHD. And this is the best way to do something. And the thing is what I've always learned and what I taught to people is what I do and how I use it isn't going to necessarily work for you or for anyone else because we don't have the same DNA. So I can tell you that this is the best, the best way to overcome ADHD on a rainy day, but it's not going to work for you. So when I started the podcast, I started thinking, I'm going to make this a very personal podcast and talk about me and lessons that I've learned over the years and how I go around certain things but not as an expert, but just as a person that's had to live with this for 60 years. Mm. And hopefully by them listening or listeners hearing what I have to say, they can try different things. They can learn like what the struggles are. And if what I do helps them, that's great. If it doesn't, then it might give them the, the, uh, the initial stage to look what helps them. Um, and I find people that are just like lost because they just got diagnosed with ADHD and they think it's the end of the world. And I tell them, look, this is like in Star Wars, this is the force. You know, Peter, Peter, Peter Shankman says it's a gift and I say it's the force because when you have ADHD, you can accomplish so much hmm. if you allow it into your system and you, will, and you accept it and don't fight it. I mean, you know, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have, you know, that just happens with ADHD, but... You know, I, I have, a you know, I always tell, like, Patty's got ADHD also. She's had it for about 30 years. And, like, I tell people, you know, we got 90 years between the two of us of living with this thing. I think you can learn something from us, <laughs> you know. I mean, and that's that's kind of the way the podcast started changing. I changed the name. Uh, but I look at AD, having ADHD, it is like Mishigas, which is mad, you know, it's Yiddish for mad, crazy, and insane. Or insanity, and that's what it's like because there's some days that, like thinking of a, like when I get up in the morning is when I decide what I'm going to talk about. I do the podcast five days a week. I never have anything planned. I don't have any script. I wake up in the morning and whatever triggered me during the night idea or something I see on Twitter, that's what I end up talking about on the show. And we go for eight minutes, usually, you know, maybe nine, but very rarely do I go over eight minutes. But it's always something that's relative to life or business. And like I said, there's no script. There's no nothing. I just jump on board. And I've been asked, well, how do you do that? And I said, I don't know. It just comes, that's the ADHD. That's the, that's the force. It just lets me start talking, you know, and I just come up with something, you know, if we talk about, you know, the other day it was about anger and I just went right into it about anger. And, uh, you know, like Patty's always like, she'll listen to the show and she'll want to know, what are you going to talk about today? Or what are you going to talk? I don't know until I turn the microphone on, you know, and uh, I don't, you know, and that's what happens. It, it comes or if I get an email from a listener that says they're having an issue with this, that'll be the next thing I talk about. No, and, and you find that, so obviously you mentioned uh, that you don't really have a plan or like podcasters plan out what the content's going to look like. Right. And, you know, what topics are going to cover, maybe pull some bullet points. And obviously you don't do that. No. 
do, do, do you feel that, do you feel you could do that? Because obviously, I mean, with it being a shorter show, maybe it's easier to just go organically with the flow. But do you find that would be easier in a long time or would you still probably do it off the cuff, do you think? The problem I have with notes or bullet points is it confuses, I don't know how to explain this. My, the way my ADHD, HDHD brain works is if I see bullet points, I get confused about what I want to talk about. And it comes back to years ago when they used to ask me to speak someplace or whatever, they'd say, you know, we'd like you to talk about this topic. I'd say, okay, you know, and then I'd read about it or whatever. And I'd get up there and just start talking. And I would always make my talk a conversation. Like I want to get people involved and motivated to, to tune in. And it was really funny because two years ago, I got asked to speak at uh, the annual convention of uh, nurse practitioners in Colorado. And I was the guest speaker. And they gave me this whole script that they wanted me to follow. And I've been the night before and I'm talking and I'm talking to the people, the nurse practitioners that are putting this on. And they said, here's your script. And they hand me this six-page script. And I said, I can't, I can't do this. It's not me. That's not my words. That's not the way I talk. And they said, well, we have a certain way you have to follow and we want certain information. I said, I'll get all your bullet points out. I said, but let me do my thing. So I got up in front of 500 people and just started speaking. And sooner or later, I got to their bullet points. But I had the audience rolling because I was talking about my own issues with diabetes and ADHD. And I was very personal. I gave them my numbers. I gave them everything about my hit medical history. And everyone after the show came up and was like, we never had anyone do that, talk about themselves. And so the, and the people were happy. And I said, see, you don't need to follow a script. But there's other people that need bullet points or need a script. And I think it's my brain is that I can't sit down and put a pad in front of me with bullet points because I've tried it. And all I end up doing is messing the podcast up. So I, I, I just get up and, and it's funny because sometimes I don't even have a topic that I'm thinking about. I'll go to the computer and I'll sit there and I'll say, what am I going to talk about today? And I'll say, okay, so let me just get going and something will come in. And I start the show. I start talking about whatever, maybe some of the past shows and bringing up, you know, did you listen to this? Or did you find anything in there? And then all of a sudden something will click in my brain. This is what we need to talk about. And then I'll run with it. And I'll go on for eight minutes with no, and I don't have a dead spot. The only dead spots I have is when the dogs bother me to go out or, you know, do something. And, and it works perfect. So I don't know. I don't think I'll ever go to bullet points because I'm afraid of them. <laughs> no. and, and that takes me back to the, you mentioned your show's been going since 2017. Right. Um, and I think that ties in with your newsletter was about the same time. Yes. Um, the Michigan newsletter. So how has it evolved? I know the episodes, um, they were more weekly or, or spread out um, in the early days, whereas now I believe it's daily that you're doing the show now. Yeah, the, pod, the podcast is Monday through Friday. Um, mm. Sometimes I kick in on a weekend if i am got something to say. Um, there's no set. I do it whenever I feel like if I get up first thing in the morning and I get the urge to go, I go at it. If it's later in the day, I do it then. I don't have a scheduled time. It just goes out. No, I was going to say, and the newsletter goes out three days a week on Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. So that's more structured. And is that, did that evolution happen organically? Or did, or did you make a decision, I need to do this daily, or I want to do this daily to, to get all my thoughts out there, so to speak? It came down to, it was my way of dealing with 
the reason I go daily, I could, I mean, to be honest, I'd like to go seven days a week, but I figure people get sick of hearing it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's because I got, this is where ADHD is mind boggling is I get so many thoughts going. If I don't release them, they get lost in the shuffle and they go on to never, never land. Um, you know, like people say, well, why don't you write things down? And I've done, like, again, going back to not writing bullet points, but even writing ideas down. Um, I've done that. I've tried doing the, I tried doing the daily journals. Uh, none of that works for me because when I start writing, my mind starts running and I can't write fast enough to keep, or type fast enough to keep up with what my brain's doing. So the idea of the podcast is it helps me get rid of all, like a, basically it's like a brain dump. That's what I call it. I get up in the morning, I'm able to dump what's in my brain and then I get the rest of the day to work on other stuff. And it might be the newsletter or whatever, but I find that podcasting is the avenue that people really tune into, um, you know, compared to doing a newsletter. When I see the readership and then I go to a podcast and I see the listenership, you know, and, and I'm not I'm not doing big, big numbers like some other people, but I don't what I care about is, you know, it was always and I think you were one of the ones that told me way back when when I started blogging and we talked was that it's it's that one person you reach that makes the difference. It's not, you don't need to have 5,000 readers. You need one that will pay attention, you know, learns from what you've done and you should be happy with that. Um, you know, I don't charge for it like a lot of other podcasters do. Um, the one thing I have been criticized about, I guess, or kind of some of these other podcasters that are in the ADHD field that are selling their services. I kind of get, like, I'm against that, Okay. I know you should get paid for stuff, but what they're doing is they're selling their tips, their tricks, their books that are supposedly going to help you. They don't. It's like Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins is a great motivational speaker, but half of the stuff he teaches somebody will never work for that person. Like we were talking about, like the DNA just isn't the same. Mm. And um, I was one. I, I used to send my stockbrokers to Tony Robbins seminars and spend all this money on his tapes and the CDs. And well, back in my day, it was only tapes. We didn't have CDs yet. Uh, so I'd send my brokers there and they'd come back and they'd be all pumped up and like, they'd be going out selling like crazy. And like six to eight weeks later, they couldn't do anything anymore because it only works for so long. And then you need to be refueled again. So I had written a book way back then about trying to get people to learn what motivates them themselves by listening to others. But hopefully that would give them the key to find what they needed. And that's what this podcast ADHD is about is I'm giving you information that I've lived with for 60 years. If it helps you, that's fantastic. Uh, if it doesn't, I apologize. But that's what I've been through with this thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. One of my previous guests, Michael Levitt, um, he suffered a heart attack in 2009. It was like a mega heart attack. Right. And completely changed his life. And, and to, to recover from that, he had to, you know, obviously change his lifestyle, change what he was eating and drinking, et cetera. And a lot of people would give him advice, well, you should do this, you should do that. Right. And he found it was only after he went to a nutritionist that he actually realized I'm being eaten wrong for my body. He'd been eating healthily, but he'd been eating wrong for his body and drinking the wrong stuff for his body and his needs. And I think that goes to your point exactly um, about everybody's different with different requirements. So when you see people selling, you know, the, the best 
advice for ADHD sufferers, you're thinking, well, maybe for the ones that suffer the same way you do, as opposed to the 90% that suffer another way or 15% that suffer this way. You know, when I spoke to the nurse practitioners, I said, my biggest thing in going in to see a doctor or a nurse practitioner is when they think I'm, I'm the guy that's in their book. I'm not that book. I'm not that patient. I'm, I'm Mark. I'm totally different than what you're reading about. You know, and, and they look at me when I tell a doctor that. I say, look, you don't understand. I said, I don't follow that rule of thumb. You know, it was, w- three years ago, I weighed th- almost 300 pounds. I was at 298. And the doctors, my cardiologist was giving me a lot of stuff about I need to lose weight. And, and I don't like diets. I, I think that's a four-letter word, right? Mm-hmm. So I happened to watch. Have you ever heard of Dean Ornish? I Dr. haven't, Dean man, Ornish? No. Okay. He's a, he's a heart specialist, but he, he, he's on YouTube. Not on YouTube, I should say, but he has videos and he has a website, great website. I started watching some of his videos, and it was one video that talked about not dieting for people who don't like to diet. And he basically said this. It's real simple. He goes, watch what you eat. Enjoy the food, because everyone want, has to give up. Like All of a sudden, your doctor tells you you got to give up pasta. I'm Sicilian. You think I'm going to give up <laughs> pasta? Okay. Or being told you need to make your meatballs with turkey meat. I don't think so. Okay. I'm Sicilian. You know, my grandmother would roll over in her grave if she saw that. So when I saw this video, it's, it all made sense to me was that eat what you like, but eat less of everything. Start cutting back, cutting back. But don't. And it was amazing because he said this. He goes, everyone goes to, okay, use a little, little smaller plate. And he said, that's the worst thing to do because you don't see what you've accomplished. If you have a big plate and you leave stuff on the plate, you can actually say, look, I left stuff on my plate. I didn't eat a full, you know, half a pound of pasta. I need a quarter pound. But so I started doing, I followed his routine. I said, let me see if this works. I lost 100 pounds. And I'm like, okay, I got down to a nice weight that I liked. And then just a week ago, I went to a new doctor who basically said I needed to lose more weight. And I said, I feel good at this weight. She goes, no, I want you to lose more weight. And then she said, you got to cut out all your carbs, bread. And she started listening. I said, I don't think you understand my system. <laughs> I said, I have a very good health system. It works for me. But it was the same when, you know, I went, I think it was about four years ago, I was seeing a therapist. And she said, I want you to meet with the, the psychiatrist. And they wanted to test me for ADHD because I told them, look, I've been tested numerous times. I, they said, no, 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 we, you know, you're older now. Let's check you. And they had me do a test. And I scored a 99.9% on their test. And they, were, they said that's the highest they had ever seen in their office. <laughs> and they said, how do you function every day? Because you, basically you're a non hyperkinetic disorder, which was the original title, still is lingering around the world for people that are very severely ADHD. And that's what he was saying. He goes, I don't see how you can even function without the notepad. You should have a notepad in front of you all the time to make. I said, I can't do that. I said, because if I start writing, I'll write 50 pages about one thing that, and half of it will be a mess because I couldn't remember where I wanted to go. And that was one of my issues with blogging was I'd start to write and I'd start writing and I'd follow a certain path. And then all of a sudden you'd see the story go to something else. And then I'd come back to where I was, and then I'd go to something else. And people would say, your your blogging is confusing. And I said, well, if I tell you the story, it would work better. (laughs) You guys want me to write. It doesn't work that way for me. You know, I have to speak. 
and I can kind of stay on course. And uh, But that's what it's been like with ADHD. And when I see these guys out there that are gurus or experts and they sell like, okay, we'll coach you with ADHD for $3,000 for six months. I'm like, I'd like to do that too, but I can't do that to a person because I can coach you, but what I'm telling you is what works for me. And you have to take that information and recycle it to make it work for you. And that's where I feel that it's wrong to charge for that because I'm not giving them, you know, I don't consider what I'm going to give somebody it's going to work for them. They need to take it and rework it. Mm. So why charge them for that? You know, it was, it was like in diabetes. We did the same thing. We would talk to people. We would help people. We never charged them for it. You know, like all these other sites would charge, give us donations, give us this, you know, uh, give us $50 a month or whatever, and we'll do this. Or it, it never seemed to work because your way of doing it is totally different than what they need. So I kind of get upset when I see these guys out there being gurus and selling, you know, selling this is the way that, I mean, my, my biggest nemesis is Gary V. <laughs> I always go after Gary V because he wants to sell the hustle. Yeah. And I'm like, isn't that a little old now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was good when he came out with it in sort of 2006, 2008, when he first had Wine TV, etc. But I think to your point, um, I, I know I used to like um, sort of follow along like the social media uh, circle way back in 20, uh, 2008, 2010. Um, and then you right. just saw the same people with the same shtick at every single keynote. And you're thinking, you've been pushing us for like four, five, six years now. When do you move right. on? You know, it's just... Yeah. Like, I think he's good. He's a great speaker and he gets you pumped up, but he's saying he's selling the same stuff all the time, the hustle. And, you know, there's a lot of young guys out there that believe in that and they go after it and they say, yeah, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to follow Gary V. He's got a gazillion followers and he speaks all over the place. He writes a, bu writes a bunch of books and there's nothing wrong. I don't, I don't disagree. I just think that sometimes it's too far. It's you know you're not an you, you can you're not an expert because there's another guy that's doing it the same way you know uh, Jim Rohn who was Tony Robbins first you know that was his guy I met Jim Rohn at a conference one time it was really funny we 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 talked afterwards and I asked him about his system for motivation he says look I get up there and I give you what I believe in because what you do with it is up to you. I said, yeah, but you charge for that. He goes, right. He goes, because I'm spending my time doing that. He goes, but I don't guarantee that my system will work. All I tell you is this is what, is what it's done for me, the way I do it. He goes, they have to take it and go the next step. He goes, I can't guarantee anything. And I always, I like that about him. He was very honest. He says, I can't, I can't sell you motivation. I can tell you motivation. I can show you motivation. But what I have if you don't take it and use it to build, like that's your building block, then you're not going to pat, you're not going to make it. Over the years, that's what I do. You know, I see that like now, especially with ADHD, I see a, there's a lot more podcasts coming out. There's a lot more people writing about it. And all I ever hear is from people saying, well, so-and-so charged me $3,000 for six months of coaching and it didn't do any good. And I said, well, that's too bad you lost three thousand dollars. I said, but you know, what's it? What did? You, why do you think it's going to do you any good? You know, but the price is right. You know, it sounds expensive. It's oh, it must work because they're charging three thousand dollars. So I kind of, I I do the show that you know we're not selling you anything. We're just telling. I do it as a personal 
you know, it's more therapy for me because I get to talk about issues I'm having. Um, I've kind of made the show, you know, I don't like to talk ADHD every day because I think people get tired of hearing. So I, I make the show kind of loose. Like there'll be ADHD moments. There'll be things about life. There'll be things about kids, parenting, grandparenting, homeschooling. Uh, but it all ties into what it's like to have ADHD and do all this stuff. You know, so it's, it's, this is what normal life is like on, you know, when you're 66 and you have this, this is what it's like, you know, you got something to look forward awesome. to when you get older. <laughs> awesome. It's not bad enough for the kids driving me loopy with the uh, homeschooling at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> now you'd right. mentioned earlier, speaking about life, you'd mentioned earlier that in a previous life, if you like, you'd been a, an investment banker and you had stockbrokers working, right. et cetera. And then your life took a little bit of a turn and a less legal profession. So what, what happened? Okay. Um, okay. I was an investment banker <clears throat> for 19 years. And, uh, what happened was I had an uncle who was involved in a, a fraud scheme in Washington, DC bank banking fraud. It was called the BCCI. And this bank had been out of Saudi Arabia, uh, had 140 locations throughout the world. And what happened was there was a big scandal a fraud in Washington where my uncle and his law partner were buying a bank. And what happened was this BCCI bank was part of the money coming into that bank. So it became a major investigation. Well, what happened was the BCCI originally basically was a main bank for drug dealers, uh, arms dealers, the CIA, um, the mafia, all these groups used that bank for doing their money laundering and all that. Well, I was a consultant to my uncle in helping form the new bank and all this. And I never got, uh, I never got recorded, but he did with his law partner and everything else. And they were about to, um, <clears throat> they indicted him. They indicted all these other people. And the banker, the main banker out of London went to prison. The sheik who was behind a lot of this never went to prison. He stayed in Saudi Arabia and never came out. And his law partner got acquitted, but they really wanted to bury my uncle because they needed someone in the States. So they were offering him five years. And my lawyer said, you know, if you want, we could work this out. You could take his place. So what I did is I confessed to doing a lot of things, which I had done. And the agreement was I would get five years and take my uncle's place and they would come after me. Well, they decided that five years wasn't enough. The judge made a decision that there was more to me then met the eye and she was i mean let's be honest i'll since i went away everything she thought and read about from the fbi was true so she decided to give me 10 years so i got sentenced to 10 years i ended up doing almost a total of 10 years because of bad behavior uh i also took a little time out to my mom passed away in 2000 while i was locked up so just before she died i got out on an appeal bond and I got to be home with her for 10 days before she passed away. And I was on an ankle bracelet. And I was determined not to go back to prison. So I cut the bracelet off, <laughs> got to New York City, took a bus from New York to Seattle. Got to Seattle, and I had some friends in British Columbia and Vancouver who were planning my escape. And I escaped from Seattle. I went across the bay into, I think it's White Rock uh, in Vancouver, just outside of Vancouver. And as we were crossing the bay, the boat broke down. We got caught in kelp, and we had to dive in the water and cut all the kelp off the, the prop so we could continue across the bay. 
And I lived in Canada for six months while I was waiting for the to see if the appeal was going to do anything. And But then they had me on an escape charge because I took off. So they denied the appeal right away. And I had to make arrangements to come home. So I came back, finished my time, and ended up having to do pretty much, I did, uh, I should have done eight and a half years. I did nine and a half years all total. And, you know, that's totally different. I mean, you want to talk about a humbling experience that changed my whole life. Uh, I have to be honest, as an investment banker, I was young, I was cocky. I, uh, I had power that I couldn't believe. I mean, it wasn't about money. It was about having power and being able to tell bankers what to do and how to do things. And right now, I can tell you this officially because it's been talked about and I have the agreement. Um, there's a screenwriter out of L.A. who approached me about four months ago. And they're starting the first of the year, they're starting to write a screenplay about my life. And they're presenting it. It's been presented to Netflix, who's talking about doing an eight-part series. It's also been presented to Amazon Prime. So they're negotiating all that right now. And uh, it's all official. Because <laughs> there's a lot to this, which is probably another podcast. That would take up a whole different type of podcast. Uh, but I've never done a podcast about it. I've always thought about it. I, I had some guys approach me about doing a podcast about being in prison for 10 years. Um, that never happened, but I always wanted to do something about talking about the, the uh, I've, I've listened to some of the prison podcasts that are out there. There's one out of San Quentin. That's excellent. But they, uh, I always, instead of talking about prison life, I thought it'd be interesting to tell people about some of the characters that I've met over 10 years. But the thing was, you know, I don't have them to talk to, but we could tell some great stories about what it was like, you know, to be with mm. some different types of people, uh, you know, so, but that's how my life changed and it changed everything I believed in. It changed everything, how I dealt with life in general. After 10 years, it was like uh, being thankful for a roll of toilet paper was the biggest thing, you know, that I could be thankful for. And then when the <laughs> coronavirus hit and there was no toilet yeah. paper, I was freaking out. I was just going to say that. It's like, well, as soon as you mentioned it, I was thinking immediately to the, the early set March, April time when the, there was no toilet roll anywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in prison, what it is, these later, I, first, when I first went in, they gave you toilet paper. But towards the end, they would only give you one roll a week. And people would fight and they'd steal your roll of toilet paper. So I used to have to take the toilet paper and I would keep the, the cardboard cutouts from other rolls and separate one roll into like five rolls and hide it in my cell. And because I remember one time going into the men's room and I put the toilet paper on the floor and someone reached under, grabbed it and took off. Um, so when we ran out of toilet paper this year, I was, you know, worried. Uh, it's like I tell, I tell Patty, it's a big joke around the house with the kids. And I, I said, toilet paper is more important <laughs> than food. You know, I worry more about that than anything. You know, we don't have food. Don't worry about it. We need toilet paper. That's more important. And uh, they all laugh at me, you know, and, and uh, it's kind of a joke around the house because I'm so worried about toilet paper. And uh, I mean, this is getting <laughs> kind of personal. Like I even count the sheets. I, I count the sheets when I take it off the roll, you know, and Patty, like Patty wasn't, you know, she met me and I had just gotten out of prison. Uh, and the first time she saw me counting the sheets, she was like, what are you doing? Because mm. I was very neat, you know, and I said, look, I said, after 10 years, you count. You know, I said, I became an accountant <laughs> of toilet paper. <laughs> I said, so I know how many sheets I need to do whatever I need to do. 
And uh, she just laughed about it. And that's been always a joke in the home is, you know, like I freak out. If I see one roll of toilet paper in the bathroom, it's all over. You know, like I'm, I'm either at the store or I'm calling her up saying, did you get, is there toilet paper I don't know about? Because we're, we're down to one roll. Hunt, prison makes you very humble and appreciative of a refrigerator. You know, like I did a thing with Peter Shankman on another, he was doing these things about being locked down and people saying, we're in prison. And uh, I feel like I'm in prison. And I said, they don't know what prison's like. You know, and I, I just posted this the other day. I was telling somebody, they were complaining about being locked down and they can't deal with it. You know, they, I said, look, I said, think about this. I said, I was locked down 23 hours a day. I didn't have a refrigerator. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have food except for when they brought it. I said, and and I couldn't take a shower when I wanted. I couldn't go and get something. I couldn't have a beer. I couldn't make a phone call. I couldn't do this. I said, this is nothing. I mean, they're taking, oh, you can't dine outside. Oh, whoopee-doo, take it home. I couldn't even get takeout. Never mind. You know, so I kind of, when I hear these people complaining about being locked down, it's like, this is, it'll pass. Don't worry. Try being locked down for six months and saying, you can't do any of this. You can't have a refrigerator. You can't talk to your family. You can't. Uh, take a shower when you want, you know, you, you uh, kind of go to the bathroom in your cell. Uh, and granted, there's the people that say, well, you deserve it. You did wrong, so that's what you deserve. You're right, but you don't need to complain about this lockdown that's really, I mean, I understand it's hard, but it's only hard on the people that don't understand yeah. that this is nothing. You know, like everyone comes to me, oh, you're not freaking out. I said, why should I freak out? This is pretty good. I still can walk to my refrigerator. You want to lock me down? You know, if the governor wants to shut the door and say, you got to stay in your house for six months, go for it. You know, I'll stay in, you know, no problem. I can do podcasts all day or, you know, do whatever. I can still watch movies. Can't do that in prison. You know, so think, you know, when you get really down about this, and I've had a lot of people talk about ADHD and being locked down. I tell them, here's the alternative. Think what it would be like to have ADHD locked in your bedroom with no access to the rest of your house. Mm. So now that's a lockdown. You can't phone, call anybody. You don't have a computer. And you don't have a refrigerator. That would be, you know, hard. Um, so that's what I try to tell people when they come out. Because, it's I mean, it's hard right now. I mean, I'm sure it's the same in Canada. I'm sure it's the same any place. If they're having lockdowns, it's hard for people. And they don't get it. You know, it's not, it's not that bad, you know. Take take it take advantage of this because sooner or later they're going to release you and you're going to have to go to work again or you're going to have to fight the crowds again and all that. I, I know with your show, um, this one's been gone since 2017 and you'd mentioned you've got another couple of shows that are, are running uh, and you've just started a new one as well, right. the COVID one. Um, what's your goal for this? Because that's amazing news about the, you know, the, the screenwriter and, and you know the options with Netflix and Amazon, uh, etc. What's your your goals with this particular show um, and when it comes to growing it? Are you continuing with the, the formats in, do you think? Do you think you'll bring in talking about your experiences in prison, et cetera, to complement the, the shows? I would love to start a show about the prison thing. The problem, I've, I'd like to do it, like when I did the, I did an interview with Chris Voss and we did a going back and forth about being, because he had a lot of questions and it worked nice. I think to do the show the right way, it would be good with someone else so that it would be someone that would want to know more and dig deeper. Like I think a podcast about, what they're making a, if they do this movie or show would be cool because it would get people 
If they can't see that, they can hear about it. And crime show, I hate to say it this way, but crime shows do really well on podcasts right now. And, uh, but I don't see it as a one, like, I can't see it doing it myself. I'd have to do it with somebody. So it'd be kind of give and take. Someone that's never experienced that versus someone that has experience because that person would have a lot of questions and would bring out the characters because there's so many characters to talk about. And interesting, the stories, like, I mean, I always thought there's one guy I met who's doing three life sentences. And what it was, was he went to rob a bank because his house had been foreclosed on. And he got a gun from somebody. And um, he didn't realize, I don't know, I mean, I, I believe, you know, you have to believe what they say. But anyways, the bottom line was what happens, he went into the bank, someone pulled a gun, he shot. And what happened is it killed, the bullet went through the first person and went into the second person. Second person died from blood loss, not from, you know. But then another guy shot at him, and he shot that guy. It was all over the fact that he was trying to save his home. So, I mean, he still did wrong, and he admitted that, and he lost his family, he lost his kids and all that. But when you hear the story, you're like, gee, you know, he's trying to save his family, you know. And uh, But then there's other people that, are, you know, I met through the time, you know. So I think the stories are relative to what goes on in life every day, but people never hear those stories because a lot of these guys don't go out and talk about it. And I think it would be, you know, the way I looked at doing a podcast would be interesting to do it as a conversation so that, you know, people would be listening in and hearing basically a conversation like this about what is, what goes on in prison and not everyone does about what's life like in prison. Everyone does that. The shows I've heard, you know, this is what your daily routine is. And that's not what's interesting. It's about the guys that are in there, that some of them that have tell you stories. And I met a, a mob guy that was a hitman, and his thing was he grew flowers. And he had all different types of roses, and he, show, he was showing me pictures, and he was, like, really into this, into botany. And he never graduated high school, but he learned how to graph. He learned how to do this. And he had these roses that were unbelievable. And no one's ever going to hear about him. No one's ever going to know about him unless someone brings it out and talks about it. And that's what I was, that was my goal of doing a podcast off of this other thing, even before Netflix, you know, the Netflix thing came about was doing something like that. It just kind of opened up people's eyes that, you know, prisoners are prisoners, you know, everyone's got their attitude about it, but there's a lot of guys in there that have some skills that people don't understand. Even like what you learn when you're in there. I mean, I learned a whole different legal world. I got in there and did my own appeals. I started doing appeals for other people. Uh, I used to teach a business plan class that they wanted to, they, they did. I taught a motivational class, uh, which was from the workbook I wrote for my stockbrokers. I brought it into the prison. And what happened was the psychologists, when I went into Le uh, Lewisburg, they adopted it instead of the 12-step program. And it worked better because what it did is it made people really look at goals and setting up their lives and I had inmates, I had 32 inmates that took that class over six months and they were asking for, they taught it to their kids over the phone. And I used to give the kids the books. I used, I had, well, I had my mom send them because my mom was out there. So my mom would send them to the families because these guys, these inmates wanted their kids to follow this course. And it was, it, it's not quote unquote faith-based like 12 step. This was about getting your life in order. And I, it was, I used it for my stockbrokers. I used it for insurance agents. So I brought it to the inside when I got in prison. I said, this would be perfect for these guys. And we used to do it at night. And I used that class. I taught. And these guys, I mean, you got a captive audience, basically. 
you know, which is great. You know, they're not going anyplace. And they're looking to get out of their cell for an hour. So they'd come down. And for an hour, we do, like I said, we, I used to have these guys writing business plans. And some of these guys were never getting out of prison, but they wrote it for their family. They wrote a plan because they wanted their family to know that they weren't crazy or they weren't forgetting about like, one guy I had. He wrote a complete business plan for his son to open up a, a car detailing system. And the kid followed the plan and did very well and was successful. And it was all written while the father was in prison. So that's, you know, to me, that's the stories that should be told. That, you know, it, it is, you know, the guys, the guys are, that are in there are human. Some of them aren't. I mean, there's some that are, you know, you don't want, you know, those are the stories you've got to tell too yeah. because you've got to show the other side, you know. And, um, and that's what, you know, that's where I'd like to see something come out is to find somebody that wants to do a, a podcast that's really can be, you know, it could be interviews later on. But I think at first it's really about just talking about what the prison systems are like. And what it's like to, you know, these different guys that are in there. Because I think that's the important thing. It isn't about what you do all day because, you know, some days you don't do anything. So there's, there's no excitement, you know. But talking to some of these guys, there's a lot of stories, a lot of history. Uh, it's amazing what you find out. You know, a lot of people, once they're in there, they talk about everything and anything. I think that'd be a, a, a really interesting show to listen to. One of the things I like doing is uh, I like reading. Um, and I'm fascinated by the stories of people and how they got to where they are today, whether that's, you know, in, incarcerated for something that, as you mentioned, it could be just wanting to look after the family, which anybody can understand, right? But right. there, but for the grace of God, if you're like, there goes you and I, we could do the same thing. You know, so I think that'd be a real interesting right. show to listen to is to actually hear, you know, how they got there and how they're helping the people that are still left behind, if you like. Because I had my mom, my dad was killed in 80, 81. So my mom was, when I went away, it was in 95. So I had my mom out there and she was fighting cancer at the time. And she was still working. Here's a woman that was fighting cancer, colon cancer. She had a colostomy bag and she also was on an experimental uh, chemo program from Harvard. And um, it was really interesting because the chemo bag was looked like a VH, VHS tape. And in it was the drug and a battery and she'd have to wear it. But I had, you know, I was taking care of her, even though she was working. I was still making sure she had money and all that. And she would send me money. And I still had things going on out in the street that were I was dealing with. And then just before I took off to Canada, um, I still, from the when I lost everything because of being arrested, the only thing that I was able to keep was my bond business, which wasn't, it was basically dormant when I went into prison. And uh, in 2000, I had an offer from uh, Cantor and Fitzgerald in New York City to buy the bond business from me. And it was a chance for me to get rid of it, make sure my mom was set. Well, she passed away. So then I said, well, I don't even want the bond business. So I was all set in 2001 to meet with them. Uh, I was driving to New York City on September 11th. And I got stuck. There. I was on 95, which is the main route from actually from Maine all the way to Florida, and I had left, I was outside of Connecticut in New York City. I was on 95 and there was a car accident. So I was sitting in traffic and I'm running late for a meeting that I was supposed to be at at nine o'clock. And I was listening to a radio station, Imus in the morning. And all of a sudden he makes this announcement about the World Trade Center's getting hit or a plane. And he, he didn't, I thought it was a joke. And all of a sudden he come, the second plane hit. So now all of a sudden, and, and then you start seeing things happening. And I had two friends at the Trade Center waiting for me at Cantor and Fitzgerald. They had flown up from the Cayman Islands, and they died. 
and I should have been there, and I would have been dead. But for whoever was watching over me, I got behind a car accident, and I never made it into the city. And uh, right after that is when I went to Canada, and I don't know, you know, I sit back now and think about that, you know? I mean, uh, that's one of the things that'll weigh on my mind for years is my two friends died when I should have been there. But I think, you know, like you're saying about stories about coming up, I mean, there's, there's a lot more that goes into a lot of my background and all that. And some of it's interesting, some of it isn't. But Netflix liked it because they heard the whole background. And they're not like, uh, I was afraid they were going to say you can't do anything, like a podcast. And they, they thought it would be good because if they do decide to do this, it would be a sales pitch before it even came out. And uh, I just been waiting to kind of figure out how to do it. Uh, like I said, I don't want to do it alone because it's, you know, it'd be just talking like, you know, just me talking. It'd be better to do it with someone and let them quiz me on a lot of things to help get it along. No, I look forward to, so, to hopefully, you know, watching that come out, say, next year or the, the year after. If it goes in production, that's, that'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Mark, this is like, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today and I could sit here for two, three, four, yeah, five I hours. No, I know. I know. I'm sorry. I just, keep going. We'll have to catch up when this COVID gets lifted. You know, took over to Canada for a, a repeat visit and we'll, uh, yeah. we'll put you up for a, a few nights and we'll catch up. For for people that want to uh, check out your show or your shows um, or your newsletter and get to know you a bit better as well, where's the best place for them to connect with you online and to listen to your podcast? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on Twitter, I'm under Mark John One. It's M A R K J O H N number one. Um, they can find me there. Uh, they can f- the podcast is pretty much on all the major players. ADHD. It's all Michigas. That's what it's called. Totally. Uh, Coronavirus Michigas is out there, which is kind of just a fun thing to play with. And California Michigas is out there also. They're all on all the major players, so they can find it. Really, just type it in, and if it's not on there, they can request it, and it'll be put on. Okay, cool, and I'll be sure to link uh, out to your shows in the, uh, the show notes, so for anybody listening to this on your favourite podcast app, make sure to check it on your show notes as usual. Uh, Mark, again, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, uh, and I, you know, we'll have to catch up again to catch up on your, uh, your production, see how that goes. Yeah, sounds good. All right, take care. So you've been listening to Podcaster Stories. If you enjoyed this week's show, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find it on all the main podcast players like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and more. Or head over to podcastofstories.com and catch up on the newsletter and past episodes there. Until the next time, take care and stay safe.